0: Hello there and welcome to another episode of Jedi Order Podcast. We have a great episode lined up today. We have two returning guests, ex-editor-in-chief of Metal Hammer Magazine and co-founder of Space Rocks, Alex Milas, author, journalist and presenter Dr. Stuart Clark. And it's going to be a great episode because we're discussing everything that we're looking forward to seeing in Mandalorian Season 2. We're talking about characters, possible storylines, where we think certain things would go, what we would like to see happen, all things we enjoyed about season one, and how far this Mandalorian journey can take us. So, without further ado, let's get to another episode of Jedi Order Podcast. First of all, guys, um, Stuart, I'm going to throw it to yourself first. Um, what were your initial reactions with the trailer, which I'm sure you've obviously seen?
1: <laughs> yes, I've seen it a number of times now. Um, I th- my initial reaction to it was, um, I, you know, sort of, I, I, can't, I can't wait, obviously. But it's just, it's just such, um, it looks seamless from, from series one. It's the the aesthetic seems to be the same, you know. The main storyline of the Mandalorian and the Child just seems to be the same, and and yeah, I cannot wait to dive into it and uh, just just revel really in in all the uh, imagery and um, you know what we're going to learn next about uh, this story.
0: Was it the same mm. for you, Alex?
2: Y- yeah, completely echoing Stuart's thoughts there. You know, I I, I think what makes mandalorian so successful and the reason why it's been embraced the way it has is because it does two things really well i think number one it tells a great story and you don't have to be a massive fan of the franchise to appreciate the story but number two if you are a massive fan of the franchise which i am and you notice every detail and you watch the frame by frame analyses and you go it over it over and over again. Now, Stewart said he'd seen it a few times, like, and I guess more than a few times in truth. <laughs> like me, there are so many things to absorb and relish, and they throw it in there just so so frequently. I mean, that was what was so true of the first season, which is just oh man, did they oh yeah they did. You know that feeling that if you blink, you might miss some little reference to something, and uh, yeah, I mean the the the, the detail, the characters. And I think the setup is absolutely brilliant. You know, like whoa! I mean, because I, I think I think we know who we're talking about. You know, when they refer to those um, those distrusted sorcerers.
1: Mm, absolutely, the, it's so interesting that you say that, Alex. Because one of the scenes in the first episode of the first series that just it it, it was sort of a little bit of a, a jaw dropping moment. Um, and you had to have you know you had to be totally into a new hope to notice it, I think. Um, but it was the scene where he's on the ice in the in the land speeder, going back to the razor crest. And the way they frame it, the way the speeder is moving across the ice, the kind of um, speed that it's going, the way the the the, the landscape is blurring, you know, just the general shape of the speeder itself. I mean, it's exactly like the scene in A New Hope where um, Luke Skywalker and C-3PO are travelling across the desert to try and find R2. And I can just remember instantly recognising sort of the, the the scene and thinking this is being made by true Star Wars fans. And and it makes me feel very at home. It makes me feel very, very comfortable. Um, But if you're not into the series as as much as that, it's still a beautiful shot. doesn't matter. It works on on all those levels. Yeah, I fully
2: agree there. Um, And, yeah, it's funny you talk about that, you know, like literally the speed of the vehicle, because I, I think... I think one of the favorite things I have heard said about this series is something you just did there, Stuart, you feel like you're at home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's a familiar coat and, you know, not to, not to zoom out and get into, you know, I guess, culture theory and VHS, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the, the original trilogy came out in a very unique time, which is the era of VHS. And I think what happened back then is something that you don't have quite as much now, which is endless replaying of the same films over and over again. And that's not to say that people have not rewatched, uh, you know, the, the, the original trilogy in successive years, but I think uh, there is a very specific time where literally due to media, um, you kind of studied every single scene, which is why the special editions are so jarring at times, because as soon as they've changed anything as simple as a sound effect, you know, and so to get so much right, I think, is an astonishing achievement. You know, it's funny. I was looking at the trailer again this afternoon to refresh my memory a little bit. And one of the first comments is, I wonder if his back hurts from carrying the franchise. <laughs> Which uh, I thought was a, a pretty, pretty apropos.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And as you were saying earlier, you know, the 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 wizards you know i mean this is this starts to become extremely exciting because it's it's teasing you and taking you closer to something that you know you know intuitively is happening in that time period that somewhere there is you know luke skywalker setting up his jedi academy
2: indeed i mean isn't that interesting though isn't it because because luke is at the center of the trilogy. You don't actually see the uh, the wider world around him, in which the Jedi are are just a rumor. You know, yeah, I mean, they yeah. have been they've been eradicated, and they've almost passed into like popular me- mythology. And and I guess that's what's so interesting about Rogue One, which I think shares its DNA with the Mandalorian in that it is so satisfying a watch, or at least to me, I found it that way. Um, but again, in that world, I mean, yeah, there's there's no magic, there's no uh, hokey religions and ancient weapons. Um, it is just, uh, it's, a, it's a big, long gunfight. And I guess that's the world that Mandalorian lives in. And I think as a consequence, the introduction of the Jedi Order is so interesting. And of course, who is that standing in the shadows? We don't yet know. But, you know, yeah. the, the appearance of the Darksaber, um, you know, it, it's important of uh, some, I think, incredibly badass scenes to come.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I've seen, you know, some commentary and some criticism about the sort of ideas about, uh, the, you know, the Mandalorians talking about, oh, in in the songs of eons past, you know, we fought a war with uh, wizards and, and things like that. And it, and, and I kind of get where the people are coming from when, when, when they say that's jarring to them and it's a bit critical and, and, and how don't the Mandalorians remember this. But, but then if you pull back and you think about you know, how many Jedi there really are in the, the galaxy at this time, I mean, it would be easy to miss them it's just that we've been so deep in the story of the few remaining threads of those force users that makes it so familiar uh, to us you know Grand Moff Tarkin in the first one says to Vader about you know the Jedi they're extinct they've gone you know people have moved on and they have forgotten about them so and 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 you know, the songs of eons past, that might just be a Mandalorian phrase for their history songs. It might not necessarily mean that they're talking about things that happened eons ago. So it's, uh, it's fascinating to me to see how this develops.
2: Yeah. You know, and I, I, I think, you know, reverting to, uh, to where we started there, Stuart, just to, 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 to throw in, uh, cause I completely agree with what you're saying, you know, so, okay. So, um, I'm, facebook friends with brian fuller um if you know him he's uh you know uh well he created hannibal um was obviously a showrunner and a writer on things like deep space nine and you know uh the creator of heroes so i mean uh, a man who knows his shit and um and he kind of said that very thing i wish these people would do their research um because he was complaining there's no way that the mandalorians didn't know about the jedi but i kind of have a feeling that the writers of mandalorian know that too and you know to get so much right but to make such a glaring mistake although you know we we, we should never forgive we should never forget we know the crimes that have been committed against star wars fans <laughs> years. uh but I, I've, I've i'm confident that there's a reason why and it's going to be explained and they probably know fandom well enough to know how triggering an oversight like that is going to be and, of course, you know, I mean, if everyone just nods and agrees with everything they see, they're not going to be talking about it. And if if you have friends in the Star Wars like I do, they have been moaning about this for weeks now. And, uh, you know, that's what makes it interesting. It's it's the pub chat.
1: Mm. Mm. You see, I do. I I. I... I do think there is. I mean, there clearly is just so much to be explained. You know, because the last time we saw um, the Mandalorians, you know, they they're, they're a thriving civilization, really. Um, so, you know, the Dark Saber had been returned to the Mandalorians. There was no problem with the Mandalorians taking their helmets off and all the rest of it. Now it's all completely different. There is just a few Mandalorians in these, um, you know, little sieges that they've got, um, you know, living in secret. They now have a code in which they never take their helmets off. And, you know, and they talk about the Great Purge, this terrible thing. Almost, it seems like a sort of a genocide perpetrated by the Empire that we can infer. So, yeah, there is an awful lot for us um, to learn about um, these terrible things that have happened to the Mandalorians.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, I mean, I guess they are a, a traumatized society, aren't they? You know, I mean, you find them in season one. I mean, literally living underground, you know, and just scrabbling together. There was a real parallel, I thought, with the bunkers scenes in Terminator, you know, where they're kind of living that subterranean and hidden life. And, you know, the decision I'll give obviously a spoiler alert. I think people listening to the Jedi Order podcast will have watched season one of the Mandalorian. So, you know, their decision to come out of the shadows And risk being seen, uh, you know, I think was a really big one. I think, yeah, for that reason, you know, because they've been on the run for so long.
1: Yeah, and I love the way that it that it happens as well because it's to do, you know, pr- to protect a foundling, to protect, uh, you know, they they risk everything um, to do that, and isn't that just such a delicious irony that we have reminded to us in this trailer for season two that you know force users um, were once the enemy of the Mandalore. I mean, this is you know this is this is just. Setting up so much drama, so much mystery, so much intrigue, and of course, if the if again, if the Mandalorians um, you know have had this terrible thing perpetrated on them by the Empire, then almost anything that's valuable to the remnants of what's left of the Empire is going to be something they want to stop um, them getting their hands on. So there's a what's fascinating is that I really feel I mean I've been teased all series one really Um, in, in that there's a much bigger story that's going on that Mm. I think is, uh, and hope is, is we going to start sort of uh, getting bigger glimpses of.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I'm just going to throw one in there as well. I really hope that the armor gets a lot more scenes because she is completely wicked.
1: It's just so cool. And, and that, that, um, you know, where they they use her dialogue again for the ser- uh, for the for the trailer, I mean you know she's the she's almost she's the mentor character really yeah. um, for the for the Mandalorian. Her delivery of the lines and 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 this weird strange situation the Mandalorian has got himself into, and all she says to him, you know, this is the way. I mean, what that is <laughs> that is great. I mean, yeah, it's what, just perfectly written. She,
2: uh, yeah, who is she? and what does she know you know i mean because clearly i mean her skills are like she's got like mad mandalorian skills you know and um i guess that's the thing i mean they rely on gadgetry and skill and you know reflexes and a life of training to kind of i mean the thought of mandalorians versus uh jedi is i mean that's a really cool concept you know i mean not just that they're kind of I guess, sort of natural or instinctive enemies, but they kind of come at it from completely different angles, don't they? You know, but they kind of follow that same master and apprentice pattern, it seems. And I think that's super interesting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, yeah, I I wait with bated breath to see what's going to happen next. Yeah
2: so uh so question number two ben
0: (laughs) (laughs) well i was gonna i'm gonna jump on exactly to something you guys were both saying and talking about the jedi because i think it's going to be such an interesting topic probably in season two and going forward there's so many obviously things they can cover now they all they say season one is five years after the events of return of the jedi and Like every Star Wars fan, reading into stuff, when you see Carl Weathers' characters shot in the trailer of Season 2, he now has a big old grey bushy beard. So, has some time passed, or quite some time passed, we don't quite know, because obviously the Yoda child character could just be looking like that for quite a while, as he's already 50. But, um, when it alludes to it, you see, I don't know if you're familiar with this actress, or should I say wrestler, Sasha Banks. Now, she is the character that you see with a, a jedi cloak and hood on when they briefly mentioned it in the trailer where she's at the docks and then she disappears very shortly after that so she also has some similar um traits she looks quite like uh, an ahsoka type character as well but it would be interesting to see where do you feel more mainstream jedi are going to fit into this because we're five years maybe five six seven years now after return of the jedi will there be holograms maybe of messages from luke when he was younger because with the digital capabilities now they could certainly do a young luke just using mark hamill's voice so i mean do you think it's going to be something that's going to build steadily because obviously we've had the child as a force uh, sensitive person throughout the whole first season or do you think it's something they're gonna come in strong on the second season and then it be kind of a main fixture from there on
2: well that's you know a really interesting question because of course i'm going to extrapolate from the trailer the entire story arc of season two um, which will conclude in the appearance of luke skywalker check back with me in six months but I think that the Jedi are going to be like an, an ephemeral wisp of smoke throughout this series. It's going to be a, a long kind of pursuit, you know, but I think that's going to be the thing that connects it all, you know, together. And, you know, the, the thing is, is with what uh CGI can do. Um, yeah. You have to wonder, would they dare bring Mark Hamill back into it? I don't know, but you know, if you're a fan, all they have to do is mention Skywalker and your imagination will fill in the rest. And I guess that's the, that's the thing about great music. It's about great art. It's what you leave out sometimes, not just what you put in that makes things meaningful. And I don't think they have to be too heavy handed. They haven't been up until now, but I think just a hint of Jedi presence and perhaps an allusion to Skywalker lurking in the background somewhere, I think it's going to be enough to keep me watching every, every episode, like, you know, the moment it comes out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, So when I when they uh, had the scenes in the series one, taking it, saying, uh, you know, the armorer saying you you must take the child to find its people. I'd assumed at that point, just in my head, had told me they would find, you know, the the planet where that race live. Uh, And then as soon as I saw the trailer for series two, I suddenly thought, no, they're talking about its own kind you know jedi this 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 is the all they've got to go on is that the child has these strange powers and it doesn't even really sound as if they know about the force or um in, in their conversations so i think that's going to be the uh the, the journey for this second series is finding out more about uh the jedi and then finding out that they're they're actually alive um, and that there are Jedi and um, this was my sort of big flash and moment of revelation that I thought only I had had until I read it in a thousand different places on the internet you know the day after I'd had it Um, and that was that it there's going to we're going to see Luke Skywalker at some stage whether you know whether they go full-on in this series or whether they get us closer to it and maybe just tease us with him at the end of this one or maybe they hold him back a bit more. But I think it's going to be a proper CGI Luke, you know, on, well, on Endor or wherever he is um, and uh, that that will come into this eventually. And so we'll start to see how this all links up that way.
2: Mm -hmm. Do you you think, Stuart and Ben, that they're going to ever revisit midichlorians or any of that you know side of it all I mean I I I frame this question without judgment but it's just one of those things that does kind of make me wonder right you know because I, I always loved the force myself when it was something beyond explanation you know because it was always set up as the antithesis of rationality you know just something that you had to you know let go of and feel and um, I always kind of felt like the midichlorians you know that concept you know upset that wonder uh in some way but you know i i hope they don't tread that path but i was curious if you thought they would because the fourth child in some way seems like a manifestation of the force you know this rare species because there's only yoda yaddle and the child right that's all you mm. see like some rare tree but uh but yeah i mean what wh- I, I i put it to the floor
1: i hope they don't go back to the midi um because i think as you said it it robs us of a level of of mystery so the the one of the beauties of the uh of, of the star wars universe for me is this kind of dualistic philosophy approach where you know there's there's the material world and you know it's all about having a handy blaster at your side and hyperspace and all of that, and then there is this 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 this, this ephemeral realm, the force um sort of a, as a as a proxy almost for spirituality uh and this idea that it's a life force that people can tap into because of of feeling and emotion letting go, stopping thinking, you know and all of that. I find it' such um a beautiful storytelling. Um, device uh, as a way of talking about the different sides of human nature. And so as soon as you start to say, no, the force and force sensitivity is actually something you can measure, um, you know, with submicroscopic microscopic uh, creatures or whatever. It, it just robs it of a little bit of the magic um, for me. And, and it's kind of unneeded, I think, in a, in a storytelling way. So, yeah, fingers crossed that um, that they don't go back there.
2: Yeah,
0: I'm with you there. I'm with you there. I uh, on the same I'm exactly the same but at the same time I wouldn't be surprised if it did come back in any way shape or form because we seem to have this with um John Favreau and Dave Filoni both have massive Star Wars fans there both know their knowledge on Star Wars is very very high Dave Filoni's being being just at a level that I don't think anybody can else can come close to but due to his I think close relationship with George and I feel that there will always be conversations kind of with him and George. And we know that, or it's been very heavily rumored that George is a collaborator, especially on the new Bad Batch animated series. I wouldn't surprise if it finds its way in there just because it was something that obviously George introduced and Dave is especially one of those people that takes those ideas, sometimes runs with it in different direction. But it's, I think any anything's possible when you still have the Lucas connection.
1: Did they talk about midi chlorians in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, or was it just in Phantom Menace? I'm racking my brains, and I, just, I can't think of a, a reference in the in the other two films.
2: It's it's been a while since I've watched them. I'll, hmm. I'll fetch. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I if I recall, it was qui-gon who pulls out a tricorder mm. um, and a scan, and and my face caved in uh, yeah but mine uh, too. yeah just just one of those but yeah uh it's interesting the relationship with george because i guess you know they're they're not gonna you know tar you know those prequels or anything uh publicly are they but i guess it's just how they guide things you know um and i i think that you know they're they're not just doing things to to please the fans. I think they want to tell a great story. But you know, I guess as you learn, you know, with the sort of like the bonus documentaries and so on, um, if you if you watch them, you know, letting different directors have a hand at telling those stories and finding different ways. Like the Taika Waititi episode was unbelievably funny. I thought just so well done, and I, th- I think they're letting they're they're open to bringing different perspectives into it all. And and to be honest uh if they feel like it's the right decision i feel like they'll they'll make a fist of it and do it well um but it's just one of those where it's just i love it and now i have expectations because i expected it to be completely horrible um because you know i've i've been damaged and traumatized you know it's a you know a bit of a you know battered wife syndrome being a, a fan of any franchise because you keep going back and uh you know in the case of star wars i've usually been you know rewarded of course i have i'm an absolute lifelong fan but now that i've loved i've allowed myself to love again and uh i um i just hope they get it right because it's it's literally (laughs) let's be honest um it's one of the, the 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 big things on my horizon now that um pretty much no movies are happening for like the next 30 years it seems (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely see as much as uh you know a year or, or a couple of years ago you know i said do you know what i am you know i'm i'm done with star wars if that's what they're doing with it and that's the direction they want to go you know there's nothing in there for me it's not even star wars anymore i'm out uh, <laughs> and, and and then the mandalorian comes along and i'm so back in i mean yes. it's, it's just, i just love it you do so much, and when they get it right, um, and when they realise that it's it's that it's classic mythic storytelling. It's big, huge stories in which individuals are implanted, and those individuals are working towards goals that are bigger than themselves. Hmm. And in in that. You know, and in that framework, it becomes really classic, timeless storytelling. Um, I think so. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's all riding on what happens on uh, on October the thirtieth and for the eight weeks after that.
2: Yeah, no pressure.
1: Jeez. <laughs> 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 the other thing about the midi chlorians, of course, is I think they can be a a sort of elegant way out um, of of that and there's a you know there's a difference between you know we all know that this is a series of films and television and you know they're not going to get it right um for everyone all the time and if they decide that they've gone in a, a sort of a wrong direction with something just just sort of let it go really don't try and correct it just just let it go and don't talk about it again and so you know you can you can you can not have midi-chlorians um, mentioned and then they're still there if people like that idea and that concept Um, and if you don't like that idea and concept well it doesn't bother you um, either so uh, just sort of sweep it under the rug really
2: yeah 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 but you know I mean like you say I mean you know you can fill in the gaps if if you like, I think it makes sense. But, but there's still many questions surround the child. I mean, just like, you know, um, did, did it have parents, um, you know, just like why, why were they after it? You know, I mean, mm. was it to harness power and, you know, I, I suppose something that feels almost inevitable is, uh, you know, if some years have passed, perhaps the child has grown more powerful. And so we might see, you know, Yet more feats of you know Jedi strength and things that you know are perhaps beyond comprehension. Because that's the thing—you never see Yoda in his prime in the way that you want to. I mean, I—I'm trying to block block out the kind of you know kind of kung fu, you know, cartoon kind of Yoda, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it, it's it's the Yoda that can lift the X-wing out of the swamp and you know sort of project it across the room. So um, that's that's what I'm really interested in seeing because I thought it was well done. It it wasn't used a lot, but in the original, uh, uh, it, well, in season one, um, what they did show was just like, oh my god, that's going to be big. You know, mm. it's clearly it is that the, the child is all powerful, possibly to the detriment of Mando. I mean, who knows? You know, we'll just have to see.
1: Mm. And I love the idea. You see that you you've got this character, this the 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 child. You know, who doesn't speak can't explain where it's come from. It's a total enigma. It it, it has this huge power to it, and and. And so what do you do with that? How do you try to understand that? If you can understand that, do you try to exploit that, you know, what, what do you, what do you do? And really all the Mando saw was, was a foundling that needed help in the same way that he had needed help and a way to deprive the Imperials of something. It's, you know, I say it time and time again, but the, the beauty and the greatness of the Mandalorian is in the simplicity of the setup. Yeah. um and 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 they've absolutely slam dunked it and i bet it wasn't simple to arrive at that um but they worked at it very hard until they'd got it down to something that's that's truly fantastic
2: yeah it, it is it is understated isn't it mm. it's, it's you know even the soundtrack everything you just feels just like a little short of bombast and um i guess that restraint is why it really works you know just because even like the intro it's 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 got a, It's kind of a throwback to like an 80s, you know, kind of uh, ep, like T, it's got more to do with TJ Hooker than it does John Williams opening fanfare. You know, it's just uh, but I love that, you know, it, it feels like a Saturday morning cartoon in many ways. You know, it's like, you mm. know, find our hero, you know, marooned on this planet. And uh, I think that's what's a lot of fun about it is um, there's something pleasingly quaint about it. And uh, and I like that, you know, it's it's not carrying the weight of the franchise on its shoulders very much again going back to rogue one um it's something in addition to it all and because it's the the, the weight of the saga isn't on its shoulders it can have a little more fun
1: mm, i mean i'm um, the same as you i absolutely love rogue one like what a film what cinematography i mean the visuals and everything wow that is a that is a great film oh. and I think rather like Rogue One, The Mandalorian um, really benefits from, from repeat watching as well. There's so much subtlety and and, and sort of subtext in, in what's going on. You know, when The Mandalorian meets Queel and you know he's trying to uh, he's, he's he's trying to ride the blurg um, for the first time. And uh, Queel says to him, "You know, it, the Mandalorian is ready to give up." And Queel says, "But you're a Mandalorian. You used to ride the great Mythosaur." You know? <laughs> and okay, that's a that that that's a that's a real niche reference to the um to the Star Wars holiday special. But
2: which, which, that... which if we could just yeah the first appearance of Boba Fett, right? I mean, this is the yeah. first time see it, you know, I mean, unbelievable. And it was like an animated cutscene as well, wasn't it? I mean, it's just. Yeah. Yes. Sorry to but yeah. Uh, I mean I'm just yeah.
1: Yes. Uh, and the first time you saw the the rifle that the the Mandalorian uh, uses as well. But it also—it's a perfect line for uh, what you discover has happened to the Mandalorians. You know, they were this once great, powerful race. You know, uh, and and now they're not. You know, now they're now they're hiding in underground bunkers. And the more I've watched The Mandalorian, the more I've realized that um, uh, John Favreau and the the other writers—they uh, know what's going on. They really understand. I'm. Convinced they truly understand the world that they're building and the story that they're telling. And they're not in the real rush to tell us everything at once. So yeah. it's just going to be one of those things that I'm sure that I keep returning to again and again and oh. seeing more and more because of this beautiful understatement.
2: Yeah. 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 And you're right about the rewatchability. I mean, I watched every episode twice, you know, once when it came out once in the week before the next one. And yeah, there's so much to be appraised every time you go through because the first time you're just like, Oh gosh, I'm, I'm just letting this wash over and this. It's the second time because you kind of know what's going to happen. Mm. You can focus on the detail. And I, and I, I wonder, cause I've been thinking about this, you know, what is, what is nagging at my conscience about this? And if you can, if you can hear a commotion, it's because my cat is demanding to be. stroked. So <laughs> <attentive. laughs> So he's just brushing himself in front of the microphone. But um, I don't know, um, I mean, because obviously there's so much about Star Wars that's an amalgamation of cultural references from all kinds of things. You know, we know George Lucas loved anthropology. Um, you know, he's inspired by *Here of a Thousand Faces and all these kinds of things. And I wondered if you agreed with this, and it never really clicked with me until watching Mando, um, the parallel between the samurai and the ninja. mm Because, you know, samurai, you know, uh, you know, this, uh, this warrior class, you know, um, living by a code of honor, complete discipline, mastery of the sword and whatever else. And then the ninja almost as like the photographic negative, you know, um, devious skulking in the shadows, you know, uh, kind of like commando style warriors, but, you know, not against uh, trickery and anything to kind of, you know, win, you know, including fighting dirty, you know, I mean, what is that, um. What is that whistling, wrist missile? That oh
1: yeah, you know, um, that
2: um, like literally it's such a video game upgrade, isn't it? It's like and now you have this power, like you know, you know, X left, start and fire. That thing is amazing. But yeah, the whistling birds, whistling birds. That's it. Yeah, I love that. But yeah, it's. Um, I, I think the reason why Star Wars has always worked is because it stirs. Uh, Deep cultural memory about different things, you know. Um, it, Absolutely, it's, it's it's not a completely new story. In fact, it's an ancient story. It's you know, it's the hero's journey, as we know. Mm. But um, but yeah, I, I wondered what you thought about the samurai versus ninja thing because um, to me, it just feels like you know, as a reference for Mandalorian culture, it just seems to work.
1: Yeah, and and I think this this is the real genius of George Lucas. Sort of everyone. You know, everyone's uh, or or lots of people sort of say, oh, George Lucas, what a genius. He came up with those walking tank things, you know, and (laughs) yet I'm totally on board with that. You know, they're like walkers are my number one thing. I love to see them. Uh, But actually, it's so much deeper than that. And to me, Star Wars has always felt, you know, somehow it's it's like a it's like a story from the past i mean okay i know they say long time ago in a galaxy far far away you know which is the the sort of sci-fi upgrade of once upon a time Mm -hmm. uh but it is timeless in that way it doesn't feel somehow like the future it's and and george lucas has sort of amalgamated all these different things from different time periods so you know the uh you know the 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 airborne warfare of the second world war the sort of the samurai code of the honorable warrior in the jedi and and you know this this sense of dualistic spirituality in in the force i mean it's what a great thing he's just so clever to have come up with all these timeless elements and in that sense you know the the mandalorian is so interesting because the i think the thing that they instantly sort of, sort of uh, reference is sort of like the the lone gunman kind of thing mm. and this yeah. for me is where the uh, is where the score is very very clever in that it, you know it's just a two-note motif that you hear which has exactly the same sort of quality as the opening um motif of the good the bad and the ugly yes and instantly your mind goes sort of spaghetti western lone gunfighter you know and you're there you're totally totally there and 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 that for me is one of the beauties of this show the way everything is is coherent in 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 its direction and in its um uh, sort of setting
2: yeah and and you know let's not forget i mean how how we find our hero in the beginning he's, he's not a good guy is he i mean he's completely you know he is you know he's he's literally just about obviously he has a crisis of conscience but uh you know I mean if if you had to judge what the Mandalorians were about based on what they do for a living I mean geez uh, you know I mean the child was going to be sold to uh, you know just like these ex Imperials uh, and uh, I mean that's kind of again it taps into things doesn't it but like you say old westerns I mean yeah um, the good the bad and the ugly once upon a time in the West these were all, great stories but they also took their time you know mm. and they 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 allowed a beat or two and that's something that's very rare um certainly in in sort of storytelling of the year 2020 but it's also rare in the star wars franchise as well i mean looking at like not to get into like the uh the last three movies but um you know uh with the sort of the last three stories of the saga um, they're so dense you know, there is so much to unpack in every scene and there's so much going on. Um, what's wonderful about The Mandalorian is that it has a very slow but confident pace throughout it all. You know, it's just like, no, no, we'll get there. We'll get there. And if anything, I was startled at how sparse the first episode was, you know, because it was just like, well, not that much happens. It's really interesting, but that it takes a while to develop a story.
1: There was a little part of me as well uh, that uh, when I first saw it and that first episode, there was a bit of part of me that went, "Is
2: that it?" <laughs> yeah, me too. In me know. too. I, 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 I'll be honest. I was a bit like, "Well, that's a bit budget," because you're kind <laughs> of, you're kind of expecting like the whole CGI extravagance. So it takes a minute to readjust your focus and go like, "No, no, this is just like this is the outskirts of the story," mm. and uh, you know that's that's unusual but it did it did sort of it it reset my palette and uh that's something that i wasn't sure could ever really happen after after the last three main movies
1: Mm. and uh, then and now subsequently it's of rewatching it all again in much quicker order uh you know i realize very much that it's just an eight part story so and all the complexity that you want and the hints of deeper things to come it all happens over those episodes um you know so it's 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 very much um greater than the sum of its parts the yeah. mandalorian yeah and totally. more, more power to it for being
0: that indeed indeed just quickly jumping on the western thing there especially with the first episode can we get more Spaghetti Western, do you know, than a drinking hole full of scum and villainy, on oh. the, in a, in a remote location that someone just wanders in to start something.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, isn't isn't that brilliant? And you 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 see a bit more of that, of course, in the trailer for season two, don't you? I mean, um, I I I I fully agree. Yeah, that Rogues Gallery. That's just so so weird, and and. <laughs> I mean, I always laugh. I mean, it's just like you go in there and you don't expect like a jazz band, you know, like oh clarinet solo. You know, it's just so incongruous with everything else. But that's why I love it. It's it's just it's just so wacky, isn't it? You know, and and let, let's be honest, um, it is. It, it was made a long time ago, but um, but but some of those villains are just like oh wow, well we found this mask from like you know you know space nineteen ninety nine. Should we just use that? Like literally, just like the devil guy and you know the cyclops and all that, you know, because. it. <laughs> I'm not criticizing it just it felt a little thrown together but that's what makes it great because when you're a kid you don't know where to look because like everything is interesting and that they brought that back for 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 the trailer to me is that's very exciting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we mentioned the uh, the whistling birds um earlier you know what what lovely confidence um that is shown in the trailer you know when the whistling birds light up uh in this in uh sort of the boxing ring area and uh, and the child goes go goes goes for cover dives for cover it's just lovely lovely moment uh in the trailer
2: yeah yeah, yeah isn't it though and uh you know i'll be on <laughs> you know i mean kind of looking at it um you know so i uh you know i read that um you know they 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 literally threw that whole cantina scene together in like ten weeks it was literally just. Just shoving whatever they could together in order to kind of create all that but they've kind of they've maintained that wacky feel to it all um, mm. But w- without it feeling silly. I don't think it's gonna take anything away and of course, you know What's gonna happen, you know as as the screen goes dark. I mean you hear that sound and It's just like okay, you know all hell's gonna break loose mm. And uh, and I love that but that's the world he lives in so it's gosh I mean, where is he gonna go from 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 where it ended off because of course, you know, I mean, it was a hell of a finale. I mean, one of the most satisfying finishes to a season. I think I've seen in a long time because it just felt like, oh, that's great. And I can't wait to get to the next episode. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, are the uh, are the Jedi going to be friend or foe? You know, I, I think a mix of both, uh, you know, I mean, because in some cases, let's be honest, they could be kind of dicks. <laughs>
0: very true it's very true uh and something i mean something i'm gonna also touch on as well because i think it's a very interesting point is that obviously the mandalorian the mando he is our central guy our central character that's carrying this season but as we know behind that mask is also this great actor pedro pascal Mm -hmm. and uh which is obviously part of the role is obviously he's going to be wearing his helmet for a majority of his time but do you guys think me personally i would love we see as his character develops through the show he has he has quite a lot of character growth in those eight episodes especially with being able to communicate more with people and let his guard down especially around having a droid he hated droids to begin with but he has he earns a relationship with a droid which at one point might have been his enemy and then wasn't so do you think that hopefully with this character development we do get maybe it's a scene with the child where we can have this almost monologue type dialogue where he eventually takes the helmet off and we get to see more into kind of the depth of that character
1: okay so i think this is a really interesting point that you raise and I think my preference is for the for us not to see him in those moments uh where the helmet is coming off. Uh you know, we know he takes it off to eat because you know we we saw that shot in series one, um, but you didn't see his face. Uh but I'm now so used to the Mando being you know, that mask, and they, you know, they never take them off, this is the way, and all the rest of it. I think we, I hope we find out more about why they never take the, the masks off, and the helmets, and all the rest of it. What, you know, what, what's the new credo for the Mandalorians that has caused that to happen in the Great Purge, I'm assuming, that they talk about. But like all these things, and I think Mando is becoming humanized, and there, you know there was the one scene where they took his helmet off in the the first series, where he was completely humanized at that point because you know he was he was very badly injured and and, uh, uh, and badly wounded. But if the helmet keeps coming off, it loses the um, sort of special moment kind of thing. So my hope is that, um, and I'm sure it will come off every now and again. Um, for, but I'm hoping that they keep it for very special uh, moments.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I fully agree. With I think one of the real achievements in Mandalorian, I think so far is um, it. You know, a lot of credit to the directors, obviously, the producers, everyone else. But Pedro Pascal, I mean, you've got to be a hell of an actor to characterize uh uh something like the mandalorian when you're wearing a helmet but somehow it works and i don't know how he does it but it's like you know what he's thinking with that big thing on most of the time it's just and it's it's not like it's slapstick body language or something like that but um you kind of know what's running through his head and i just think that is so well done but yeah he's inscrutable you know most of the time but i i agree you can kind of see his character story arc is clearly the child has woken something up in him um you know he was he was dead to the world you know the 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 mandalorians are kind of living this you know hidden subterranean existence and all that but but the child wakes something up in him and it then wakes something up in the rest of them you know where they literally they all kind of get together and they just go you know what fuck it and uh i think that's a interesting thing because it's it's almost like it's a turning point in their whole culture which is uh gonna be really interesting and you know i'll be honest the the rocket pack thing felt very like it was leaning very heavily on um, the rocketeer i know that he's always had a rocket pack and all that kind of thing i hope there isn't too much flying i'm just gonna say but um you know anyone who's a video gamer will appreciate like the reference to destiny um and some of these other games you know just like the heavily armored mandalorian just just with like can i just be a kid for a second with the giant you know the minigun? i mean so good so wicked so wicked i mean literally just like when you see him on the scene and all that it's like oh that's so cool uh and yeah i mean you need a little bit of that too but back to pedro pascal you know, as an actor, um, I don't think it's an easy job that he has, you know, to carry that off. But like you say as well about the armorer, is it Emily Swan? You know, the, um, uh, the actor, um, behind the armor. Um, I mean, somehow the inflection in her voice is just completely just perfect, you know? Um, mm. and you feel like, you know, these characters, even though wearing all that, you know, could be very impersonal otherwise.
1: Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a lovely um, study that was done, I can't remember the details of it now, um, but uh, there's a filmmaker once who took a picture, uh, took from film of an actor who was just standing there impassively and then they cut this same footage together with other things like at one moment he was sort of supposed to be looking at delicious meal at another time. He was supposed to be looking at a a fantastic landscape and all the rest of it. And then they showed the this footage to an audience and asked them to tell them what the actor was acting, what emotion the actor was acting Uh, and the audience got it right every single time when he's looking at the food he's feeling hungry you can see (laughs) it on his face you know when he's looking at the beautiful sunset he's feeling wistful and and all the rest of it and and it's a it's a it's it's all down to the filmmaking that if you're going to be that brave and put someone behind a mask, then their body language, you know, and the filmmaking that goes around it just has to be spot on. And then we, as an audience, you know, we're we're doing the ultimate empathizing with this faceless character and, you know, giving him all the emotions that we feel because of what we're seeing as well. So it's really, you know, really great piece of filmmaking.
0: Yeah, 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 that it is. Do we think uh, also, one thing that was obviously key is he had kind of a, he, well, not at all times, but he had a team with him over the course of season one that we got to know quite well. And um, do is it is it something that we think is kind of, for me personally, I loved the inclusions of the kind of the buddy. It, it almost seemed like a buddy cop thing. And some, I think it's Cara Dune is the Mm -hmm. name of the uh, the other character that he teams up with from time to time. I like that kind of comedic aspect she added to it every now and again with her kind of reactions to the Mando. But is that something you are kind of looking forward to, kind of those team-ups again? And, of course, are we going to see Carl Weathers' uh, um, character more so on the Mando side for the rest of season two? Or do you you hope, because I kind of hope he still kind of jumps between the two, he he, kind of be on his side if it benefits him in a way, but will also be opposite to him once again, if it benefits him.
2: Gosh, well, you know, um, so I am drinking a beer. um, So I'm just going to pour some out now for IG-11. (laughs) Because, yeah, I mean, I I, I love that. I mean, there is one episode, uh, I think it's like episode four, where Cara Dune makes her appearance, you know, for the first time. It felt a bit out of place that episode because it literally was almost like to mix worlds an episode of star trek the next generation where it it didn't seem to connect with the the wider story arc at all like why is he there and all that but but it was to introduce her character really really strongly and, and get to know her and i i think she's super cool you know it's just like this ex, ex-rebel you know um really gruff fairly certain that she could uh best the uh, uh mando in a fight which you know is you know <laughs> you know maybe it's going to happen But uh, but yeah, I I, I like that, too, that, you know, he's got his crew and um, that's an interesting, you know, kind of uh, area, isn't it? You know, because I guess now they've done all the introductions and the origin story. Um, You know, the field's wide open to explore all these other areas. I mean, could they do a dedicated Cara Dune episode? I would love to see that. You know, I think that would be completely wicked to kind of like, you know, work out exactly what her backstory is. And um, yeah, I mean, just to to find more room for assassin droids because i find them absolutely hilarious (laughs) you know (laughs) totally menacing. because of course clearly something's gone very wrong in the history of the mandalorians if there's that much distrust about droids there's always no droids no droids and you kind of see why right but you know that that taika watiti episode where ig11 literally loses his mind and just just kills everything um you know, it, it shouldn't be that amusing. Maybe I shouldn't be recording this. But uh yeah, it's uh it's it's really fun and carefree and um just it is so slapstick. I don't know how they pulled it off. But um but yeah, I just it was just hysterical to me.
1: Yeah, I like the fact that um he sort of uh, you got a team together because when in episode two, when he tells or when he asks Queel to join him and Queel says no, I was a bit disappointed because I was totally into Queel at that point. Um, so I was, I quite liked it, you know, when he eventually joined up. I was absolutely heartbroken uh, in that final episode where uh, Queel doesn't survive. So if I, I like the idea of him being a loner. Um, but I also like the idea of him being part of a team as well. So I'm kind of, I'm, I'm sort of open. Uh, I, I'm open to whichever way they go. I just hope they don't do this sort of contrivance thing where every time he needs other people, oh, just magically and somehow, all those ones that we really like and he already knows just happen to be around. Yeah. You know, it's. I, uh, yeah.
2: I, I, I fully agree there. Uh, you know, and I and I also hope that, yeah, at the same time, they don't fall back. And, you know, is 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 Cara Dune going to be a, a love interest or what? Well, I, I just you know, I to be honest, I I, I think they're smarter than that or I want to believe they are. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's the thing now. Now that our, you know, our interest has been peaked, you know, and we're fully aboard, you know, uh, I mean, let's be honest, they're going to make mistakes. But like you say, Stuart, hopefully they can recover. You know, from those mistakes, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, it's really Carl Weathers character that's got a lot of a lot of explaining to do, you know, because I mean, he's 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 an awful, awful, you know, person who he, he redeems himself somewhat. But, you know, that's an interesting interaction there because it's complex. And I guess mm. to bring something else in, you know, the, the, the master and apprentice interaction that seems to keep on happening, um, you know, uh, even solo you know, he had his, you know, kind of master, you know, who completely betrayed him, but that's because he was teaching him to be a rogue, you know, just, Mm -hmm. they all seem to have, you know, they're kind of like their overshadowing mentors. And I guess that's, uh, something that it, it, it keeps on recurring there. So in, in some way, the armor really isn't the, uh, um, the only interesting, you know, one that I hope they develop a lot more. I think Carl's Carl Weathers' character is also really interesting because, to me, that's a window into the underworld that Mandalorian's been swimming in for a long time.
1: Mm. Yeah, I I absolutely, absolutely agree with that. You know, there is a part of me that is super fascinated uh, to see what they do with um, the characters we've um, sort of come to know. I know that there's been quite a lot of talk about um, the potential for other characters to come into series two. Um, But, you know, these these new characters intrigue me a lot. Uh, I was was sad to see um, Werner Herzog uh, character bite the dust in the uh, series one i thought he was a, a fantastically menacing villain um yes but i'm really you know i'm really excited to see moff gideon and see him come come to the fore as the new big bad as well
2: i'm with you there uh i, I thought Werner horsad's character was completely fascinating i mean he's just got that captivating voice doesn't he you know but um absolutely I actually, uh, you know uh i i, I read an interview um, that said that he was also kind of integral, I think, to one of the biggest successes of The Mandalorian, which is that the guardian, uh, that the, uh, the, the the child um, was um, not lame. Which is remarkable, you know, because uh, they were thinking about the child being completely CGI generated. And it was actually Werner Herzog who said, are you sure? You know, um, I think you're making a mistake. You know, you're being cowardly uh, by uh, trying to generate the child. Go with a prop. It's going to be more work, but it'll be better. And, um, you know, I, I I don't know if that was the only reason why they opted for that. But uh, but yeah, it sounds like he was very influential in that decision. And I think that that was kind of crucial to it all because you could kind of see that the, the, the child... Being difficult to ignore, if they got it wrong, you know, and kind of like the um what are like the puffin beings from the uh, the last few movies that are on like Luke
0: Skywalker's, you know.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Oh world. gosh, you, I've you know, wiped, I mean, I've, right? yeah, I've wiped those from um, from my memory. Yeah, <laughs> I
0: can't remember what they're called now. Yeah,
1: no, and 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 therein Ben lies the problem.
0: Yeah, <laughs> the porgs.
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. yes.
2: Oh god, the <laughs> porgs. You know. I mean, funny for a second, but geez, you know, and so yeah. I, yeah. So the moment I saw an image of the child, it's just like, Oh God, you know, they've done it again, but, uh, but you know how expressive mm-hmm. and how interesting and, um, you know, I've, I've got to say, uh, you know, r- really adorable. Um, and yeah. you know, so it's, it's sweet and touching and heartbreaking. You can see the Mandalorian softening a little bit. Um, and of course, I, I don't know if you guys got, uh, Tricked, but I did like twenty times. You know, every time there's like a new fake trailer out, whatever else, and it's always just like some new cut. And w- did did you guys get fooled at all um with any of these fake trailers that went around?
1: No, because I can't take the pain, so <laughs> I, I I just cannot take the disappointment when yeah. I realize that it's all that it that it's not the real thing. It's it's a it's a fake. So yeah. I'm really really cautious. I'm so gullible. No, I, yeah. And and so, yeah, a a lot of them are really funny, just basically,
2: you know, Mandalorian dealing with like an adolescent child, you know, who's just like smoking on junk food and all this kind of stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I, I I love that, um, you know, that, that satire, you know, kind of exists, but that's because it's like the child has been accepted by fandom. And look, I mean, the, the filmmakers, the, the producers, they don't have an interesting, I mean, they don't have an easy job, do they? You know, it's just anyway. I can't imagine pleasing Star Wars fans is an easy thing to do because, uh, you, you know, it's well to draw a parallel. they are a lot like heavy metal fans, you know, which means they are miserable. They're desperate to be entertained, but they're mainly miserable. And they just they seem to thrive on misery, you know, because they never they never turn their back. They just they just seem to sit around waiting to be disappointed by everything. And so, um, you know you know the, the the fact that they've pulled off something that has been accepted like a kind of like a, a a new organ into a host uh is is really quite remarkable because yeah i mean dealing with you know never work with children or animals isn't that the the, the mantra <laughs> uh and uh there's a lot of that in this and uh and it just works beautifully
1: yeah Absolutely. Totally. 100 percent agree. And I think it's really interesting because um, I wonder if you see what I what I suspect the best way to to do the impossible and to please a Star Wars fan is just to tell a fully coherent story. Yeah. in the world of star wars don't try and reinvent the world of star wars don't try and push it in a in a you know in a in a kind of direction just forget all of that, just find a classic story to tell, yeah. understand your story, then understand what the world of Star Wars is and how it translates into that, rather than, obs- and and then you sort of, I think you'll please Star Wars fans, rather than sitting there obsessing around a table saying, what can we do to please Star Wars fans? What what What's the tick list of things that have to be, you know, in the film? And I suspect that tick list is very small, when you get the story right yeah, yeah, yeah and then just populate the story you know with um with this huge rich tapestry of uh creatures aliens planets spacecraft and all of that as needed
2: yeah 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 well i mean you yeah, know look um you 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 know the pain that i speak of you know uh, when <laughs> when you see like a quarter of a billion pounds go into a production and it's like, God, you guys couldn't hire just a couple more writers just to kind of work on that script. I mean, like what's that line doing there? You know, the, the, you know, I'm sorry to go off piece here, Ben, but you know, the revelation by Daisy Ridley that they were changing their mind about the origin story for Ray as they were filming, like, you know, they were literally getting memos through that, you know, they didn't know, is she Palpatine's is she from nowhere is she a Skywalker all this kind of stuff um that they were actually in filming they had decided to me that would have that's like she's the opening scene of the new trilogy you know the entire thing hangs on who she is but that they they could make up their minds like almost until the scenes were shot just completely blows my mind you know I mean how haphazard is that I mean how unforgivable when you you know this is not to disparage the trade of writing, you know, something that, you know, I spend a bit of time doing, Stuart does a lot of time doing, but, you know, when there are literally millions of pounds being thrown around on a production, how hard is it to get a few writers in the room just to kind of go, you know what, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that, why don't we say it this way, you know, or, or even just get some, some real fans in to kind of just filter it through. Um, that's, to me, really what mandalorian gets right but it's what so much else has gotten really wrong is as stewart says so brilliantly um amid all the cgi all the effects everything else people forget to tell a story which is unbelievable but i guess when you're involved in you know a a production that involves literally hundreds if not thousands of people um maybe you can lose sight of that and you don't see the forest for the trees anymore but uh i guess because the mandalorian kept it simple That's why season one's worked, and that's why I can't wait for season two.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, it does seem inconceivable that your central character of, you know, a multi-million dollar production trilogy and franchise, you haven't pinned down their backstory. Because every decision that you make about that character... Depends on that backstory and should naturally and organically come from that backstory. And it doesn't matter which backstory it is, you know, is it Kenobi Skywalker, nobody Palpatine, but for heaven's sake you should know what it is because that's the only way you can then have them making decisions that 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 makes sense um and if you're constantly changing your mind your characters constantly changing their mind and it, it's just it's there's not going to have any any coherency um yeah so yeah um yes yeah, it's a head scratcher that one i yeah. was uh, my, my my i sort of intuitively knew that from watching the the last trilogy um, and it made me unbelievably sad, um, to sort of know and feel that, and then to have it actually confirmed like that, I mean, you know, my, my yeah. jaw just kind of dropped. Yeah.
2: Well, uh, well, I mean, this is, so this is a thing, um, you know, like many people of my age, uh, you know, uh, you spent a lot of time poring over the original trilogy, you know, and a lot of that time was dedicated to Boba Fett you know i mean a, a complete enigma in the series you know so um so i i uh, i i looked it up um he has a total of 27 words in the original trilogy um you know and you know out of three movies he has 6 minutes and 32 seconds and a bunch of that is the slave one so when you think that they've created a character that powerful you know i mean we know that a closed box is always more interesting than an open one they took quite a risk in expanding on the lore around it all uh you know because the thing that made boba fett fascinating was that you just knew nothing about him you know and so you know a a, a more cautious you know screenwriter or production crew would have say well let's just leave it that way let's focus on something else but now they've they've that they've dived in and they haven't ruined it completely um is so so very deeply satisfying because i spent so much time wondering you know i mean the, the, i mean the fundamental philosophical question of star wars is boba fett a good guy or a bad guy you know i mean you never you never really know i mean but it it is fundamental to to your view of that entire universe really and uh i will judge you on how you answer i'm not saying answer now, but (laughs) (laughs) but but yeah uh uh this is the thing um he is fascinating because you know nothing about him you know so that that the Mandalorian is basically a deep dive in that world and they get so much right is, is a, is a feat because they let the writers tell a story. That's beautiful.
0: Well, I mean that perfectly lands it onto because there's so much, obviously there's rumors about everybody, but there are very strong rumors at the moment that Tamura Morrison, who obviously played Django in the seat in their prequel trilogy is playing Boba in series two of the Mandalorian. Now, Obviously, there's multiple questions there. Are they rewriting the history of Star Wars and having Boba survive the Sarlacc pit?
2: Or... Would well, you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, go on. Sorry, sorry, Ben. I'm, you know, no, I'm sorry. that's fine. Or great,
0: great. is he coming in a point where he was flashbacks in the same way that we saw the Mandalorian's character when he was young? Is, is a young Mando going to have an interaction with Boba along the way of him becoming the equipped mandalorian that he is today. So how 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 do you guys feel about either boba being reintroduced in either a flashback or in a main character or you know co-starring character role or just even the thought of boba being revisited to give some more visual history to him rather than just obviously what we saw originally in the original trilogy and I alex i'll let you go first whoa
2: yeah big one man i mean okay so the, the the thing i always okay i didn't spend my entire life wondering about but one of the things that was a bit of a head scratcher was uh you know c3po kind of nonsensically saying you know just like you know the you know you'll, you'll be slowly digested in the starlight over a thousand years and i remember scratching my head thinking do they live thousands of years i mean you know does it kind of keep you alive you know while that's kind of happening or whatever else you never see Boba die, right? I mean, it's not the most impressive way to go, is it? You know, just literally hit in the back by a pole and his rocket pack goes off and he just gets swallowed up by the sea of sand. And that's um, that's kind of a disappointing end. But if anyone could survive, it's clearly Boba. One of the best um, spoof trailers that came out that I was fooled by shows the Sarlacc, but with a bunch of footprints, leading from it you know if anyone can survive it could be Boba so yeah I mean I I love the idea of flashbacks you know but I love the idea of him still living and gosh I mean the specter of Boba versus Luke now you know I mean just like you know reunited you know by mutual hatred or whatever else because of course you know they they were fundamentally opposed to each other weren't they but of course as we know when Leia appeared as a bounty hunter in Jabba's palace and she pulls out a Joto you know thermal detonator mm. and boba like literally who's just nearly been killed just sort of nods approvingly it's just like oh it's so good you know i mean i i would love for them to bring boba back in some way i mean to be honest there was a one of those frame by frame analysis of one episode in season one where as mando is walking through the subterranean hall toward the armorer it seems like maybe have you just glimpsed boba you know in the background um is that just his armor or is it just someone else you know so i god how good would that be so i you know I, uh, I
1: yeah i i i'd be up for seeing boba again because as you say if anyone can survive the Sarlacc, you know it's going to be a mandalorian and particularly boba you know that's so yeah what i hope they don't do um unless they you know and Whenever I sort of say these kinds of things, what I hope they don't do, um, and then if they do it, I hope they do it really well and prove me wrong. I'm I'm quite happy to be proved wrong on all these things. Um, is that I sort of hope they don't just have the armor. So you know, I've sort of seen some some things online and rumours where they're saying, oh yeah, um, yeah he he yeah he survived the Sarlacc, but then but then he was killed and someone else is now wearing the armour so it's it's sort of boba but it's not really boba Um, and I find those kinds of things um, bad storytelling why why, why do something half-heartedly like that either bring him back or don't bring him back but don't say the most important thing about him is his armour that's the checklist (laughs) you know Pe- yeah. People will be fine if they see the the Boba Fett armor. Check. Let's have that. No, we want to actually sort of make that connection again with that character and know all those things he's been through and see how that's changed him and how what the consequences of all those things are now for the story. You know, it's it's that's the that's the kind of thing. And of course, we've still got the that episode that um, took place on Tatooine. Um, uh, from the series one and then that, you know, the mysterious figure at the end uh, of, of that episode, was that Boba or was that, you know, who, who was that? So that's got to be um, something that they're going to pick up yeah. again. I feel sure. Otherwise, why go back to Tatooine, you know, well, no. that, that uh, had to be a reason.
2: Fully agree. I mean, it's, uh, are you familiar with the, uh, the concept of Chekhov's rifle?
1: Yes, if yep. if um, if there's a yeah, if there's a gun that you see in a scene, uh, you know, at the beginning of the scene, it has to be fired by the end. Otherwise, don't put it in there. Yeah, yeah exactly, hundred percent.
2: stories yeah, must exactly
1: make. Happened yeah stories must make more sense than real life. They tell us something about real life, and they give us a way to to explore aspects of real life, but ultimately, to work, a story must make more sense than real life, and so that's you know where uh, you know Chekhov's rifle comes into this.
2: yeah, beautifully said Stuart. yeah, fully agree. there's a reason for that, and I
0: think they're going to get back to it. And what is also interesting is he could easily. Like, like you said earlier, Alex he can be in the in between he can he could be partly a villain, yeah in this series, but that's that's one of the exciting things, especially going into season two. We briefly touched on it earlier, but it's it's seeing more of Moff Gideon and yeah. more of the dark saber. do you i mean, I'm really looking forward to it. I hope we get a lot more of Moff Gideon. I hope we kind of get a pursuit and Um, him kind of hunting down Mando as he's trying to return the child maybe Boba I don't know Boba has ties with um, the Empire through working with Darth Vader maybe Moff hires Boba to help track down the Mando I mean (laughs) so many good ideas or ideas come flying around I mean firstly Stuart where where do you think we get that what's the evolution you think we might be getting of Moff in this second season
1: Oh, what I really hope we get some clues about uh, is how he got the Darksaber, uh, how he knows um, the Mandalorian's real name, Din Jarin, what was the uh, Moff Gideon's role in, in this cataclysm, the Great Purge. Um, you know, I really, really enjoyed the Mandalorian episodes of Rebels in which you see the Darksaber... Uh, restored to its correct um, place with the leader and the unification of of Mandalore, you know, and that's all gone now, it's it's like they've been, you know, scattered to, you know, the four winds of the galaxy, there's a real tragic story and a massive story there, um, all to unpick, and the idea of, you know, someone like uh, Boba Fett, um, you know, or 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 uh, Carl Weathers' grief Karga, you know, all those characters just living in this world where they're doing whatever they need to do to get along, and there's sort of this underworld, you know, rules of how you live in there. Each man for himself, or each person for themselves, you know, and Mando has has caught a glimpse now um of something that means more than than he himself does you know and and that's so fascinating for a, a, a great story arc um to me so watching him do that arc and watching how all these other characters um might work around that and as we go through our own sort of story arc um, with the the, um, series, as we're learning more and more about what's going on, you know, every time we meet somebody new, We form our first impressions, we sort of uh, get to know what they want, um, you know, to tell about themselves, but gradually as we know them more and more, we get to understand who they really are uh, and what their motivations, their inspirations, their fears and all of that are. And so with any great story uh of which i think the mandalorian has the makings of a truly great story so we'll get to know more and deeper about all of these characters and how they fit together and how they are trying to navigate you know this galaxy far far away yes
2: indeed you know i'm, I'm not sure if you're aware of this Stuart, but uh, to extend that thought a little bit um uh ever since uh marvel acquired the rights to the comic book star wars uh the the comic books have been considered uh canon and so there is an interesting plot line um that fills in the gap between vader in episode four and the empire strikes back because of course he has lost the death star he's been defeated by the rebels and he's fallen out of favor with the emperor and so there is a gap between episode four and the empire strikes back where clearly something has happened because by the time you get to the empire strikes back, he's got his crew of bounty hunters, you know, and he turns to Boba and goes, no disintegrations. So a bunch of writers got together and created a whole comic book series to fill in that gap, to explain how Vader worked to get back into the favor of the emperor by basically having been cast out, you know, you know denied his rank and everything else he he goes out and, and hires a bunch of mercenaries and he undertakes a bunch of different adventures and missions you know uh, and uh I mean god I, I would love to see that series too. Yeah. but yeah, I mean there there is there's so much great backstory, and there's so many things that have been woven in and around the films by now that are yeah. so well done, you know it doesn't tell too much. But uh, but I, I would love it if the Mandalorian tapped into some of that extended universe, simply because um, I think a lot of it's you know unless you're in that media. I mean, to be honest, I've not really been a huge follower of Rebels or you know Clone Wars or any of that. I keep being told to to do that, but I'm I'm pretty much a I'm mainly a live action kind of guy, uh, you know, and all that. But I have read the comic books, and and the comics are phenomenal. And so there's a lot of great stories already out there, which I think. Uh, you know, the Mandalorian could be a, a real vehicle for for visiting.
1: Mm, absolutely fascinating. Oh, I'm definitely going to read those because I've sort of gone the 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 other way. Really, I haven't read the comics, but. I've watched the animated series, and it was sort of how I came to peace, I suppose, with the prequels. Um, was watching Clone Wars because I thought it worked as a children's cartoon um, much better than it did as a the, the whole setup and the the dialogue and the types of um, characterizations uh, you know worked much better in the sort of the animated realm. Um, and then Rebels, uh, I I mean I shamelessly started watching Rebels, you know, shortly after the Disney acquisition just because of the iconography and all of that it was back and gradually so got into the story and got you know real kick out of sort of seeing the um the ghost the starship from um uh from rebels you know in rogue one and hearing and seeing the droid chopper in the in in, in yavin 4 and all that kind of stuff um but yeah i'll check out um i'll check out the uh, comic books as well because uh you know anything that takes uh you know a little detail and makes a great story around it i'm a big fan of
0: Yes, I fully agree. Well, that's that's what this whole series is all about, isn't it? Absolutely. And uh, touching on the comic books as well there, Alex, obviously, I know you'll know this having read some, which I'm sure um, you know of this character, especially in the Vader series, but I would very much, talking about people, especially who could come into the Mandalorian season two, now are characters from other films, but maybe characters from comics, because Doctor Afra would be a fantastic inclusion, I feel, at oh. some point to this series. I that, totally for, obviously, agree. She, yeah, for Stuart That's who obviously friend. doesn't know her yeah. as well. Um she is someone who is pretty much hired by Vader. She's a scientist, a rogue scientist hired by Vader to help him track down people and as he assassinates people along the way from the rebels and people he needs to take out who aren't really following his way but she also has two best way to describe them is murder droids with her a version of C3PO, which is called triple zero and a version of R2D2, which I believe is called BT. But do you, I mean, having characters like that appear, which is more of like a darker side, especially to the star Wars world would be add kind of a very good thriller horror aspect.
2: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, I have to say, Stuart, yeah, if you're going to go anywhere with the, uh, uh, you know, uh, the comic books, I mean, yeah, Dr. Aphra is definitely a rabbit hole. Uh, I just I just think it is such a brilliant yeah, plot line there. But, yeah, um, I, I guess this is the whole thing with uh, with Star Wars is, you know, it, it kind of exists in in two two worlds, doesn't it? You know, we've 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 talked about Rogue One a few times, you know, and, and you know, Cassian Andor isn't a nice guy, is he, you know? Um, you know, he, he kills ruthlessly, he does what he has to do. And I guess that's the whole thing. If you read, um, catalyst, you know, the backstory to, uh, rogue one, you'll know that. Yeah. I mean, the, the origins of the rebellion, you know, come from guerrilla warfare, um, you know, and, you know, to extrapolate something from, from all of this, uh, there's actually an ex CIA agent who gives a really kind of compelling story. Um, this is real world. This isn't a a fictional thing um saying that uh you know she's gotten to know a lot of people who we call you know terrorists uh you know over the years and uh and one of them said well you guys in the west you love stories of david versus goliath you know um you know that's how we see you you know and and that's the thing fundamentally what we're talking about with the rebellion is what from an imperial standpoint are a bunch of terrorists and you know in order to kind of you know do what they have to do they are you know yeah they are they're blowing up bases they're doing all these kinds of things they're causing all kinds of mayhem and in that dark world of espionage um you know uh yeah bad things happen and i like the darker side of star wars um you know because you know that underpinning it all um there is a there's a genuine feeling of desperation you know about rebellion which is something that i think rogue one captured so very well but it's also it's a fairly brutal story. I mean, geez. <laughs> you know, I mean, spoiler alert, turn it off now if you haven't seen it. But you know, you know, you you, you got a bunch of people who go on a mission and everybody dies. That's that's the sort of the concise version of it all, right? Um, that's what the rebellion are up against. That's what the empire signifies, you know, is the eradication, you know, of you know, uh, you know, culture and all these sort of things. And, you know, as Stuart said earlier. You know, uh, George Lucas pulled out a lot of reference points. You know, I I recently went to Duxford, you know, just this magnificent, uh, you know, uh, Imperial War Museum facility uh, just outside of Cambridge. And it's just full of all kinds of military hardware, warplanes and all that, and uh, a lot of uh, Nazi hardware. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, as we all know, so much of the aesthetic of the empire is, you know, pulled from that, you know, I mean, to <laughs> invoke Godwin's law. You know, um yes, that's happened. We've made a reference to Nazis and Hitler, but uh but that's the thing. It 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 invokes that fear of empire. And uh I, I think that it dances around and skirts around the issues and you know, Mandalorian is quite lighthearted, but you know, it's also underpinned by something that is actually very, very scary and really kind of, you know, taps into our proverbial shit. Uh because uh when you really think about it, what the the Mandalorian represented before his character changed was you know, just like a, a a deeply impersonal um ability to just sort of kill at the whim just to, to to acquire, you know, uh uh materials. And that's um that's kind of the thing, is it's just like the Sopranos, which is also a great, great series, you're allowed to love the characters, but if you love them too much, you can find yourself liking the bad guy. And, you know, I still think the Mandalorian is, you know, I think he I I think he walks that, that line between light and dark
1: yeah absolutely and that's and that's one of the things that I think makes him compelling you know I mean if we look back at some really great uh, you know f- a fairly recent science fiction you know look at all the characters in the reimagined Battlestar Galactica they all had their light and their dark about them and what makes them interesting is that they're compelling that you understand why they do what they do in their situations and and that's what the mandalorian is getting right you 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 know i'm i'm understanding that you know the mandalorian existing in that world and doing you know what he does and the other characters too and then realizing that he's he's now for you know for whatever personal reasons that are sort of hinted at by his backstory, you know he's caught up now in something that instinctively he feels he has to do, um, which is protect this child and find the child, uh, find the the child's you know people, and um, that's the. You know that's that's the pull in the two different directions for me that that makes the character interesting. He's a loner um, and an individualist, uh, and yet he does have um, a kind of a social conscience. You know, first of the Mandalorians um, by bringing all his um, bounty uh, down to the uh, Armorer to sort of help um, the Mandalorians there, um, and now with a, with a, with a kind of a wider uh sort of society you know the this bond he's made uh, with with the child yeah it reminds me a little bit of um of of, of the han solo character yeah. in that you know harrison ford was uh you know the the, the only piece of advice or, or the only thing that he ever sort of thought of about who han solo was was that he was someone who wanted to be a rogue but needed a family yeah and that tells you kind of all you need to know about him
2: yeah 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 absolutely the the, the, the human factor because yeah something motivates i mean you know this is not a uh <laughs> a revelation but yeah i mean every every great character needs a motivation you know and i guess that's the thing is uh you know before before solo you know was a rogue i mean he was uh you know a, i guess just a an urchin you know mm. on the streets and, and i love those backstories because they're relatable mm. and it, yeah. it makes and it you know i mean this is the thing to, to to be captivated by a story you've got to care about the characters and uh you know again we're talking about the fundamentals of storytelling but it, it's remarkable how frequently that's missed and how mm. frequently i'm cheering for the bad guys because i just want the protagonists to uh to to, to lose <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, yeah i'm very much looking forward to this cassian and series um yeah, because great. i think it's going to be a really interesting um you know uh new um development that's what i hope you know n- another new side um to this uh to this whole bigger story
0: yeah 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 oh gosh that's a that's a doozy of a series <laughs> I, I cannot wait anything that gives me more k2so as well i'm completely down for
2: Oh, I know. Or just make it. Just make it. Well, I mean, I, I, this is the thing. I mean, I figure by making a Castaneda series, it's really a K two S O series,
0: isn't it? I mean, come right.
1: on. I mean, they have to bring him back. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally down with that. Yeah,
0: talking about other characters, then one of the, the final things I think would be a good thing, fun thing to discuss for you picking, picking a couple like who would you love to see in on the screen in Mandalorian season two, that has been a character in the live action films and who is someone that you would love uh, Mandalorian to come up against. And for myself on both those, I would love to see Admiral Akbar come back and get like, be a part of a whole episode. It's a trap he- <laughs> <laughs> uh. where he the recruits Mandalorian is, is with him on part of the mission to get the child or help the child get back to who he needs to get back to, or comes aboard to ask for the Mandalorians help against some empire that are still uh, different aspects of the galaxy and doing their thing. And also I'd love for there to be, I know it's probably setting up maybe a confrontation with the Jedi, but I would love for there to be a confrontation with an inquisitor Sith that would just be something fascinating and we've never seen one of those on live action before so uh, I'll go to Stuart first uh, who are the people that you would like to see maybe make an appearance and who would you like the Mandalorian to come up against in some future episode
1: gosh um, yeah, this is the situation where um, I'm supposed to delve really you know, do a really kind of deep dive into to Star Wars and pull out, you know, some fairly obscure character that I think has more to say. Um, and yet there is just one character that is ringing, you know, in my head, like with great flashing lights and and bells. Um, and it's so obvious. We've spoken about him already today. Um, but it has to be Luke. Mm. I mean, you know, he, he is one of the greatest fictional characters of all time because he was, and I mean, I use the word perfect from a storytelling point of view. He was the perfect embodiment of the hero archetype. And I just want to see him again. I mean, you know, proper, proper Luke um this sort of wonderful mythic character um in some way uh because we never saw the payoff of luke you know we saw him redeem um vader um and and we sort of had that wonderful moment at the end of return of the jedi uh with him seeing the force ghosts uh but we never saw him get to build um you know the the or return the legacy of the Jedi to the galaxy so the idea that perhaps we'll see something of that in the Mandalorian um to help round off that big story or progress that big story um I mean that's that's a mind-blowing possibility um to me
2: wow that is yeah I've 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 got a hand to you I, mean, I I I completely agree with you um you know and so I mean, just to 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 add and go into a separate you know direction because I, mm-hmm. I I feel that yeah the um the hint of Luke's return and making an appearance um is just so captivating you know because because we know he's gone on to do other things after the uh, the conclusion of uh you know Return of the Jedi that there is something there I mean so I mean just to, maybe just to throw in a fun thing just like as an added bit of icing on the cake um, um have you guys read Catalyst?
1: I haven't, I'm afraid, no. No, This is I another haven't. thing that's going on my reading list after our conversation. This is good stuff.
2: So, so Catalyst is, uh, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm deeply flattered. And, uh, well, I'm, I I could say that because I've already read that, um, I'm just going to dive into your book, um, Beneath the Night, Stuart, because uh, it is a phenomenal exegesis of why we are fascinated by the night sky. And, um, yes, I just plugged that because I think it's absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to tell you this. Um one of the things in Catalyst that you won't thank me for spoiling, but I I I am <laughs> duty I'm duty bound to say is they tell the story of the demise of Jar Jar Binks. Which and I'm not sure where it happens precisely on the timeline. Um but you know it's just it's just one of those you you could you let's just say you could visit it, you know. I'm not gonna say any more. It is only a paragraph. I love that they wrote it in. So effectively it is it's true. It happened. Um, but uh but yeah, I think that uh, it's a satisfying thing. Even if it's just a split second, I would love it if they threw that in there. I mean it's just one of those.
0: That's a I'm, pretty pretty impressive uh, <laughs> paragraph, isn't it? It's a it's a it's
2: yeah, it is. It is, you know, and it's just like, oh god, they let that go. <laughs> Whoa. Gee, I'm now some, some editor let that slip. Whoa. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, they twisted the blade.
1: I, I, I now feel that I'm going to be um, on Amazon <laughs> as soon as we've finished getting that on Kindle. Because so, well, <laughs> I can't wait for it to come tomorrow. So I now need to read that.
0: Yeah, fair <laughs> If we are going to see a return of Luke Skywalker to the scene, known when obviously this takes place, is. Is there a way you would either like that to happen or, or be happy for that to happen? Because there's obviously one way we know Marvel are very good at the de-aging process, how they've recently done for Sam Jackson um, in Captain Marvel and for Kurt Russell and guardians of the galaxy. So there could obviously be that way, but then Mark who's obviously stated before that he, he feels that his story, his time is done as Playing Luke Skywalker, or would you be happy for the inclusion? Rumour mill has gone round plenty of time that Sebastian Stan, the guy who plays the Winter Soldier in the Marvel series, has a striking resemblance to a young Mark Hamill and a Luke Skywalker. So, would what kind of option, or if you see, would either of those options be a good way to go?
2: Wow. Well, you know, I've I've got to be honest. Um, So one of the letdowns about you know cgi you, you, you know the, the the leia scene
0: yeah mm-hmm.
2: yeah mm-hmm. hard mm-hmm. hard man because i wanted to love it mm. but there was just something a bit anime about it all and uh i just uh yeah i mean i i i am I'm, I'm with werner herzog on this you know i th- I just think get a younger actor um and uh you know just 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 play it that way because you know I'll, I'll be honest there's something unsettling about you know a lot of the sort of like the you know uh you know face changing stuff and uh you know it it's un it's unusual but i just think that you know just uh, there's just no replacing great acting with anything and uh, i think in order to do that you just you just need real people maybe i'm old school
1: Hmm. i think it's really interesting because um i was I mean, I, I, I had one of those moments when I was watching Rogue One when, um, you know, uh, the Grand Moff Tarkin appears on the screen. I could not believe what I was seeing. And I thought that the way they used the character sparingly um, was was really, really great. Uh, and then, like you say, for some reason, the the, the, the Leia scene at the end just doesn't really work. Yeah, um, yeah Yeah. and i was waiting and partly you know you you kind of realize as you're getting towards the end of that film that's where you're going you know that's what you're building to and 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 yeah then it just doesn't land just doesn't really you might as well have just got another act you know an act to to do that because it didn't look like a um so whatever they do if they do anything with luke um i think that the the fine line that they have to walk is overusing the character so it's not special to see him anymore but not just using him as a token so it's giving him something meaningful but that that doesn't dominate um the 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 screen i suppose um so yeah, that, that's a complete non-answer, because I've, having said that, I really want to see Luke. I just I don't know how you pull it off, I have to say.
0: Yeah, I fully agree. Yeah, it's definitely going to be um, a hard one to bring to life. But hey, who better than John Favreau and Dave Filoni, too? That's for sure. Well, I must say, thank you guys so much for doing this. I think that's a great way to end it. We have covered a lot of ground um so now it's all for us to wait and see um so thanks so much for both of you um making some time available and coming on board again
2: uh, i uh anytime ben it's an absolute pleasure to uh to be back on and uh may the force be with you
1: yeah you. absolutely sure i mean just so great to to talk with you ben so great to talk with you alex uh you know as always so anytime always up for a Star Wars chat
0: hi guys I just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to another episode of Jedi Order Podcast please don't forget to like comment and subscribe and may the force be with you (laughs)